Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal-crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at ColleenPilar.com. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. Welcome back to Unleashed at Work at Home. My guest today is Laura Gendron. She's the owner and founder of Misbehavior in New Hampshire. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're going to be talking about trust today. And I think trust is a really tricky topic because there are so many layers to it. And what all becomes involved in knowing that you can trust someone else, knowing that you can trust yourself, what does it really mean? So why don't we just sort of start with if somebody said, well, what does trust mean to you? What does trust mean to you, Laura? Growing up, I definitely had a lot of walls up around me. I definitely had a lot of armor, I guess you could say. So that has been an ongoing theme in my whole life. And um, I am married now and I have two kids. And with that, I definitely have had to put some of that armor down and let some of those walls go a little bit. So over the last well, my kids are, let's see, my kids are six and eight now. So I guess over the last eight years, but really, I would say just the last couple of years, I've really been digging into more self-awareness type stuff. I love psychology. Psychology is my, my happy place. I'm just, I love animals. Obviously that's why I'm in with animals. That's why I work with dogs. I love them, but I also love psychology. So bringing it together has been awesome. Um, and with that, I have done a lot of work with understanding behavior. And when it comes to dog behavior, um, you know, I know a lot of stuff there, but then being able to apply that to human stuff has been awesome. So the more I dig in and the more self-aware I've become over time, um, the more I've been able to understand what trust is. And for me, you know, that whole, I don't know if you guys have heard of Brene Brown, maybe, and her whole trust, um, talk that she does, but she talks about a marble jar and at that totally resonated with me. Um, so this idea of like building trust in little pieces, little bits at a time and, um, like putting marbles in the jar and, you know, the more marbles you have in the jar, the more, uh, you can trust that person that put them there or any of that stuff. So I use that analogy a lot when it comes to my dog people also. So that's, that definitely resonates with me quite a bit. Yeah, Brene Brown's marble jar was funny the first time I heard her talking about that because it it just threw me right back to a dog training conference where <laughs> um, someone had been talking about the piggy bank and, you know, yes. all of the times that you do something that is comfortable and nurturing and, and helps the dog be set up for success, you're putting a deposit in the bank. And then there mm -hmm. will be these times that it's stressful and things are hard and that's taking deposits out, it's withdrawals, and that withdrawals tend to be larger. You know, you need lots of tiny little deposits to make up for each of these withdrawals. So I think these ideas are really nice for people because the, the metaphor gives you something to visualize, to see, 
oh, it's little things over time. And trust is a tricky one, particularly, I think, for a lot of pet professionals. Um, many of them I've found have trauma in their background and have had reasons to feel less trusting of humans and more trusting of animals. And so they, they sort of develop this armor, as you called it, to... Mm-hmm to protect themselves. It can be scary to be open and vulnerable. And so when we're looking at that, when we're looking at creating our marble jars or our piggy banks, what do you think is the most important thing for us to keep in mind when we decide, okay, now I'm going to start really trying to feel a little bit more trusting. How do do people start? So I think, honestly, I think it's those little baby steps. You're talking about the deposits, like with the marble jar or the money. And I think it's just putting little deposits in all the time. So you're always, you know, kind of feeling like you're in the green or that you're rich in those deposits as we talk about them with the dogs. So um, just those little bits, like just paying, like if you're thinking about your dogs, for example, and, you know, um, if they are looking for attention from you and if you turn towards them and give them some attention even if, you know, even if we maybe shouldn't be at that very moment, because maybe they're barking at us for attention, but we just built up trust with them, right? So I think it's the same way with people, where if somebody's talking to us, and you just turn and you look at them, as opposed to, you know, continuing to type away on the computer, or, um, you know, looking down at your notebook and writing your notes, or if you're doing a virtual training, I do a lot of virtual training, and I have to even through the computer, I have to look at them. And, mm-hmm you know, even, even some simple things as, as small as looking into the webcam, right? Like you're, you're talking to them over the computer, you know, how much eye contact can you make if they're looking through on the other side and you're looking down because you're looking at them through the computer. I mean, Mm -hmm. I find that it's such a, sounds like such a silly thing, but looking into the the camera itself. So they feel like they're being looked at and not that you're looking away or getting distracted or looking over your phone. So I think it's those little moments that really build up the trust over time. And sometimes you can look back and you don't even realize like, well, wait, what was it? Why do I trust her so much? But all of a sudden you just do. And you're like, she's, well, she's my go-to person. Like if I have an issue with something, this is who I'm going to talk to about it. So I think it happens sort of out of nowhere. Yeah. Are you familiar with John Gottman's work about bid and response and relationships? Yes. Yes. It's really interesting, that whole theory of when someone makes a, a bid for connection, mm-hmm. um, how we respond. And you summed that up so beautifully with the dog, you know, when, when the dog is, is barking and you pay attention or the dog is seeking your attention in whatever way, whether Mm -hmm. it's a way you'd like to reinforce or not, when you pay attention, you have responded to that bid for attention and the ratios of how often somebody, um, makes an outreach, um, and then has that responded to matters so much yes. for trust. They have um, in the Gottman Institute, they have the five magic hours for, for couples. And I have a graphic about that that I'll throw into the show notes. But it's really an interesting thing because it's really just based on when I try to make a connection with you, you notice and respond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so often people feel unheard. And yes. feeling unheard makes you not trust people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, um, 
and it, whenever I think about, cause I, like I said, I have a couple of kids too, and um, just little things like, you know, they want to show me the work. So they've been virtually schooling um, since March, essentially, other than summer, I guess. And, you know, if I'm trying to get work done on my computer and they just come in the room to try to show me something after a while, it's kind of like, okay, you don't have to show me every little thing. And of course that's what you're thinking in your head. And that's, it's so easy to feel frustrated by that or, um, you know, just annoyed that they just keep coming in. They keep coming in. I'm just trying to focus. But every time I pay turn and pay attention to them and make an effort to say like, oh, you did a really great job. Or even though I might be thinking like, I need to get back to my work. But if I take that moment of time to actually acknowledge what they did, I mean, it, they light up from it every single time. It's crazy. So it's just, yeah. yeah, taking all of that, those little pieces. And it just, I think makes a huge difference, but it's so easy to get lost in that like, okay, but I'm trying to get this stuff done. Cause, and that's very, it's very real. I mean, like we, we still have to oh, yeah. live this life. I mean, we didn't expect our kids to be home all the time. Right. And our dogs to be, you know, needing us all the time. Cause I'm finding that the, the more often people have been home with their dogs, the more they need us there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the more they're seeking our attention, it's not satiating them in any way. Yeah. It's really interesting. The whole idea of being heard, I think really matters. I noticed that a lot when I was training that sometimes if a client would start to tell a story and my brain could just jump to the end, I knew the whole story. Like I could tell where we were going. If I didn't let them get their story out, it would just keep coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned, I learned to just like say it back to say, so what, what I'm hearing is you're really struggling with this problem and that's causing these issues related. Mm -hmm. And then the person could go, Oh, Oh, okay. You heard me. And then they could hear me with whatever I advised. But if I jumped in too soon, if I was like, yep, got it. Okay. We're dealing with this. Mm -hmm. They weren't there. And that is a piece of trust. That's a piece of establishing yourself as the professional. You in theory are trusted because they hired you, but you're not until you make a human Mm -hmm. connection people don't trust you and you have to build that first. So you had mentioned that being uh, very fascinated by psychology, just like I am and yes. by animals, just like I am and by people, yep. just like I am. So yes. two behavior nerds together, having a conversation. Tell me, what are some of your best tips for creating trust with short-term relationships, like a client relationship, as opposed to something longer, or deeper? So um, I work at a veterinary office part-time. I've worked there since, oh gosh, I can't even think, 2011, however many years ago that was. And um, I, so I see a lot of clients there very short-term and, you know, over the years our relationships built up, but I'm not there full-time. So I don't get to know them the same way that a lot of the full-timers get to know their the clients. And um, I think just when I see them, if I make a mental note to acknowledge, you know, um, we will, we'll write little notes sometimes in the, um, the clients, the client notepads on the computer of like what their kids' names were, or, um, you know, if they tell us a story, sometimes we'll write a little something in there, just like these little things. And, you know, they don't know necessarily that we're sometimes having to trigger our own memories that way. But I think just acknowledging them in ways like that, too. And, you know, I think the full timers who are there, they know all of that by, 
you know, they, they know it all, but I think, um, you know, just taking the extra step and the extra effort to really do something like that. And, um, some people are going to be better at this naturally than others. I think I'm definitely one of those people that, you know, if you, if I see somebody in the grocery store and they don't have their dog with them, (laughs) I'm like, um, (laughs) hold on. I have to picture them with their dog in order to, you know, put their name to it. So I know all their dog's names, but sometimes it's hard to remember their name without their dog because they've identified that way. So I think just, you know, if I do see somebody in the grocery store, actually like, you know, I mean, now it's a little harder with our masks on, right? But I think just acknowledging them and um, saying hi to them, because I've definitely have had moments where I'm like, oh, wait, I know that person. I know that person. I know that person. And maybe I do know who it is and it's kind of like, okay, I can either avoid it or I can just go ahead and be the first one to say hello. So something as simple as that. And again, making eye contact with them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I'm in the room and I'm listening to stories, I think treating everybody like they are the only person is really important to me Um, because I think it's really easy, especially in the veterinary field. And I think when compassion fatigue comes into it, um, I think it's really easy to say like, okay, well, I just talked to five other people about needing to put their dogs on the diet, but the five other people dismissed me. So what happens when person number six comes in, you just don't talk to them. Or, you know, if you're feeling that compassion fatigue, like I, you know, this person's not going to listen now. Well, this is a different person. This isn't that last person. So I think that that part's really important too, is just treating everybody like they're individuals because they are, (laughs) and, you know, they might need to hear things seven times before finally it clicks. Um, so I think that part's really important is just seeing everybody as the individual that they are and not as the whole. Um, so I, I find that that's a big part of the building trust with me short-term or long-term too. Mm -hmm. What helps you remind yourself of that when you're having what to you is the same conversation over and over, but isn't obviously because it's a different client on the other side. So when you're like, oh, here we go again, how do you prevent yourself from falling into that rut? So um, I try to keep stories in mind. So I like to live by stories too. I like to kind of remember like, oh, well, this time I talked to this person and it wasn't resonating, wasn't clicking, but all of a sudden it did. And kind of having that in my mind um, to keep me motivated to keep going with it. And, you know, I've had people who will email me back Um, I might send out an email that I think is just like a silly little rant about something or a silly email about, you know, nothing. And it almost, it's giving them permission to feel something and I'll get an email back and they're like, oh, I so needed to hear this today, but maybe yesterday, maybe it wouldn't have hit home the same way. So little Mm -hmm. things like that. I just think it's just so important because you never know where people are at with their, you know, their own triggers stacking. Like we talk about with the pets, Mm -hmm. you know, like you don't know what their day was like, you don't know what's going on in their life. Um, So I think it's really important to just keep putting it out there, even though it gets very difficult at times when you're like, you know, from the training perspective, as opposed to the veterinary perspective, even from the training perspective, it's hard for me to sometimes be like, okay, well, if I have to, you know, talk to one more person about not using this tool on their dog, because it's going to do this, this, and this, but maybe that person has not heard that before, or just hasn't heard it from me before. That's important too, I think, is sometimes they need to hear it from you in particular. Yeah. And, and sometimes we need to hear things multiple times Mm. and have some time to roll it around in our head. So in the moment when someone's talking to us, we're like, I don't, 
really know if that works for me. I'm not sure that fits. Mm -hmm. And then later the processing happens and you're like, oh, oh, now I see what she was saying. Now I understand. But the person is no longer there. They don't, you don't know the impact you had because the aha moment occurred hours or days or weeks later um, when the person had time to really process how the information you shared fit into their life. And that's hard. It's hard because we want the immediate result. We want to know, I told you, you got it. We're good. You, it will stick with you. You'll always know this because I told you. Right, right, and right. Um, that's not how humans learn. Not no. even close. Nope. <laughs> nope. So um, what got you interested in, in diving a little bit more into the human side of things? You said you were sort of interested in, in developing your own self-awareness and things. What, what was your triggering event? So, I mean, COVID, COVID was one thing that definitely, um, that definitely motivated me (laughs) to do something different because I'm not one to just sit still. So being told that I had to, I was actually at a dog training conference, um, when we got the news about COVID, I was at, um, in Kentucky, mm-hmm. so I had to, I was, you know, a little ways away and I had been there for a couple of days already. And I was like, I was really excited for the conference. I was really excited to get out of my mom brain and get into my like trainer brain. And I was there with a friend and we were going to have, you know, awesome time learning all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it was canceled and it was really disappointing Like I was really upset about it because I was so looking forward to just having that time. And um, so we ended up flying home a couple of days later and, you know, the kids school was done at that point, which of course I didn't know for sure at that point. But um, so it was either, okay, I can sit still (laughs) and, you know, do just sort of complain and about this and, and wallow a little bit, which I might've done for a couple of days. I mean, to be honest, it was kind of like a, oh, I wanted to go to my conference and this and that. And, um, and then other conferences that I had coming up were probably going to be canceled. But of course, again, we didn't know this at the time. Mm-hmm. So I just took that one step forward. Okay. Well, what's that first step? Like what I can't, go to someone's house right now, number one, because I have the kids home. So whether I wanted to or not, or whether I felt safe to or not, I didn't have childcare at the time. So, okay, well, what's one thing I can do? So instead of like, what can't I do? Can't do this, can't do that. What can I do, right? Just like we talk about, we talk to our clients about like, well, what's thing you, what's one thing that your dog can do is, you know, knows how to do or what can you teach them? So it's kind of the same thing. So I ended up learning about how, how the Zoom I mean, at that point, I had no clue. I had never used Zoom before. And then instead of just learning how to Zoom, I decided to teach other people what I learned about how to Zoom. (laughs) So then, um, and then it, it almost, it was like that one step forward at a time. So it wasn't necessarily, I can't even identify one big event. And I think that's what, I think that's a really important piece too, is sometimes it doesn't have to be that one triggering event. Just again, just like with our pets or, or with our clients, Like, it's not that something, they don't have to, you know, hit rock bottom with something, but Mm -hmm. if they take that, just that one step forward and then one more step ahead of that and one more step ahead of that, all of a sudden they've got some good momentum going. And that's essentially what happened is I just did a little, little pieces at a time. So I was learning zoom and then I was, you know, doing zoom just with my clients that I knew. And then I was making a little video and, you know, pre pre COVID. So I would say, yeah, back in January, February, I, 
not that I wouldn't go on camera, I would, but not to an audience that I couldn't see. <laughs> um, so going live on videos and making videos and putting them out there, pitching myself to a podcast, um, going on uh TV. I ended up going on that TV segment because I just hit the right person at the right time. Um, and all that stuff just all of a sudden happened. And if I look back, I was like, well, how, how exactly did that stuff happen? I'm not sure, but it was, it was like that one step and then another, and then another, and then I got the momentum behind me. And now all of a sudden I'm doing very different things now than I was doing back in January or February. So it's crazy how that can happen. Right. It is. And to tie it back to trust, that develops a a real strong trust in yourself. Yes. And that is such a powerful thing to really Mm -hmm. know that you've got your own back. Like you're in your corner and you know you can count on you and you're going to do the things to show up for yourself. If somebody said to you that they wanted to develop greater trust in themselves, Mm -hmm. You've just shared all all the ways of, you know, taking the baby steps and just sort of doing the next thing, not having to, mm-hmm. to, to do the whole thing, but just each little piece. But what kind of thought or encouragement could you provide to them along the way when they start going, uh, it's too hard? <laughs> um, you know, for me, I think what I ended up breaking it down to is like, what are my reinforcers? Like I, if I was being completely real and honest with myself, I needed some sort of reinforcement for even trying this. So, you know, was it money? Was it, um, was it feeling valued by people? Was it somebody saying, thank you? Was it feeling like I physically helped somebody do something with their dog? Um, so what, what was my reinforcer? And for me, it was somebody turning around and saying like, that was really helpful. Like you really did something that, you know, I found very valuable. So, but to, to bring that to like a very practical point, what I ended up doing was basically putting out um, maybe like a Facebook post or an email or something like that. Um, You know, would you be interested to learn about this? If so, I'm going to do this um, Zoom webinar or a masterclass or whatever, you know, whatever you choose to call it. And so I would schedule it. I would have people sign up for it. Um, and I kept it really, really cost-effective or sometimes free initially. And essentially, um, I was then not, I don't want to say stuck, but I was like making a promise to myself and other people. So by, by letting other people hold me accountable, I was therefore able to hold myself accountable because I wasn't gonna, I don't like to let people down a bit of a people pleaser at times. So I like to make sure that if I promise somebody of something, I'm going to follow through with it. I'm going to do it. So just doing something like that made a huge difference for me. So then that led me to, you know, all of a sudden having all these webinars and now I have courses and I have, you know, all kinds of things that have been created out of this. Um, So I think just sort of promising things to other people for me was a nice external reinforcement. Um, And I think that I needed that to just kind of take those initial steps. Um, And then, you know, with listening to some of my clients too, I found other services that I never would have thought to offer, um, like taking somebody's puppy into my house during this and letting my kids help me train. Like, it's just something that never would have entered my mind. So by listening to them, I was able to um, now make these new promises to them that I was now going to have to follow through with. So I think, I think some people are externally motivated, just like our 
dogs, right? Um, if it's something that you don't naturally want to do, then maybe you need some of that external reinforcement, external motivation. If it's something that you truly enjoy doing, um, maybe you don't need that. I mean, I think it, again, I think it depends on the people and sort of what, what gets them to take that first step and then creating habits too. That was a huge thing for me is just like creating that habit of, um, you know, well, before, before I even, and this might be extreme, but before I even take a sip of my coffee in the morning, I'm just going to write like one email and just kind of making promises to myself that way too. But again, it was a bit of an external um, motivator or reinforcement for me is that like, okay, once I do this, then I can have that. (laughs) (laughs) And it works. Yeah. And I think that's a really powerful way of thinking about it because, well, first off, so many of us are people pleasers that to commit to someone else and say, I'm going to do this means we're going to do this. And so Mm -hmm. if we can figure out what would be valuable to ourselves and then commit that publicly to someone else, you know, like Mm -hmm. where you said, I'm going to teach this course, or I'm going to share this information. That was something that mattered to you. So it was powerful, but there was no time frame on it until you told somebody else. And I'm going to do it on this day at this time. You want to do it with me? And that's really powerful. And and recognizing that that both the internal and the external rewards can vary Mm -hmm. and they they can be played with as variables, you know. So like you saying, I'm I'm not gonna have a sip of my coffee until I have written this email, that is something that you are in control of. And the mm-hmm. only one who knows whether you hold yourself to that or not is you. And yet it's still really effective. And right. you can have this. And then over time that won't be so necessary for you because you'll become more and more reinforced by the fact like I just get up and send emails and that will mm-hmm. then become an internal reward, which is also amazing and wonderful and and probably our long-term goal. But for most of us, we can't start there. I mean, I sure Mm -hmm. can't start there. And so recognizing that, because I think we, we sometimes beat ourselves up for not, you know, why, why am I not better at at doing the hard things? Um, Well, because the hard things are hard. Right. (laughs) And because they're hard, sometimes it's really helpful to look for some of those ways of setting yourself up for success and breaking things down into small pieces and deciding what is my reinforcer? What what do I get if I do something hard in support of myself? And that piece is, I think, sometimes challenging for people who are really tired and really run down. You know, mm-hmm. like, like, I don't have enough bandwidth left to take care of me. And, and I agree. Yeah, I should, but I, I can't, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're often using external rewards for, for other things as a relief, you know, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this or do that. And it it can be a nice little twist on it to just say, yes, I still get to have that and still valuable to me. And I just have to do this one small thing first and and getting the size right on that. So that it's not Mm -hmm. too big. We just give up and get discouraged. Right, exactly. So from a trust point of view as a parent, what is a lesson you would like your kids to understand about trust? Um, You know, my kids have been spending a lot of time together (laughs) and it's a boy and a girl. Um, So brother and sister. And so they were bickering, I guess you could call it a lot in the beginning. Um, And 
so we ended up having to find something that they could really bond over um, and just kind of have that back and forth time and they can like go play on the trampoline. They just went out today, actually, even though it's really cold. Um, or I think it is. They went out, played on the trampoline just to talk about Minecraft. So we ended up getting them into just this, again, this ex- external thing. And it was just like a game that they could bond over. It was Mario. And now it's turned into Minecraft. Um, but I think being able to sort of build up that, like, it's not, all about um, my needs versus it's not all about your needs. It's like, okay, well, if like they, they exchanged remote controls the other day, which I never would have expected them to do. And I just happened to overhear it. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if, if I'm there and they know I'm there, they might, my, my daughter might do something extra nice, for example, towards my son, because she's looking for me to give her some of that external, that praise or that like, oh, that was really mm-hmm. nice. But to hear them doing that when they didn't even know I was there, I thought was awesome. So I think um, the fact that they've been able to bond over something was really helpful. And I think that that's a lesson that I definitely want them to stick with is being able to like sort of look outside yourself and you know what's interesting to you. You know what you want to be doing. You know what's in it for you when it comes to anything in life, but what about the other person? Can you think about the other person for a minute and what might be helpful for them or what might be interesting to them and maybe, you know, reach out that way. Cause my daughter wanted nothing to do with Mario in the very beginning, but (laughs) she put a little extra effort in to asking um, her younger brother. So she's the older one asking him a couple questions about Mario here and there, before you know it, they're playing Mario together in the bedroom. And it's just, again, those, I think it keeps, for me, it just keeps coming back down to those like little building blocks, those those little moments, those small marbles, those, you know, little deposits that they, that we put in the bank and all that sort of stuff. And now, now they're, you know, they're very bonded over granted their video games, both of them. So there's some, there's some um, prize to it in that, but the fact that they're both um, working together with, you know, whether it's Minecraft or Mario, whatever it is, and they're, and they're drawing pictures of Minecraft. And now she's teaching him how to draw pictures of Mario or pictures of Minecraft. They're writing books together. Um, But again, it was because they bonded over something that seems like it shouldn't be that big of a deal. It shouldn't play into it, but it did. I mean, it was a huge thing. Otherwise, had that not happened and they just kept bickering, I don't know where we'd be right now. Mm -hmm. Going a little bit more crazy. So I think just, um, I think helping them find that, that place and help helping them get to that place where they can really um, kind of connect to each other. I think that's really important for teaching them that life lesson of finding a way to connect with other people when it's not just about your needs um, yeah. or what, what you're going to get out of it directly. Yeah, I think that's really true. And when you were talking, it was bringing to mind my own sons who are um, all adult and they live yeah. in three different states mm-hmm. and I was talking to one the other day and I said something and he was like, yeah, I, I already know that. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I had another son. And he said, yeah, well, we're playing video games online. And so we talk sometimes. And yeah. the the mother's heart in me was just like cheering, like, yeah, <laughs> because they're not really guys who are going to pick up the phone and call each other, mm-hmm. but they can spend an hour or two hours playing a video game together where they'll just sort of chat Mm-hmm. And and they knew things about just each other's lives and just ordinary events. And and it is related to that trust piece. It, it is that relationship being contextual and mm-hmm. having multiple 
multiple entries into the marble jar. Um, yes. And, yeah. and video games, which have never been my favorite thing, right, um, <laughs> is the thing that is keeping my three adult sons in communication mm-hmm. with one another. So I love video games. I don't want right. to play them, but I love them. I'm grateful right. they exist. <laughs> yes. yes, so true. Yeah. So this has been an interesting conversation. We've kind of wandered all around, which mm-hmm. always happens in my podcast because I, I think everything is related to everything. Um, and you seem like a person who, who also sees lots of ties between yes. things. <laughs> I think the whole idea of, of really learning to trust yourself is one piece I'd really like people to take away from this. Mm -hmm. And you have had a year of sort of explosive growth Mm -hmm. with learning to trust yourself. Can you tell me, if you looked back on you in January, what would you today like to tell yourself back then um, to, to just give her a little bit of encouragement, encouragement or um, support to just say, you will not believe what is ahead. Um, Just look at the small moments, like those small wins that you get every day. I think thinking back, like if you get to the end of the day, for example, and you think back and you're like, okay, well, what's one small win that I had today at the end at dinner um, when we have dinner together, typically, you know, most nights um, (laughs) my kids like to do that. What was your high? What was your low? Uh, I think that's a really great idea for people to do in general. You know, I don't know that you have to do the lows, but let's stick to the highs. Let's stick to the, um, you know, what was, what was your high part today? Um, And I think if you can look at that every day, but look at it, you know, get really close to it. So don't look at it in a broad way. Like I'm, I'm really happy that my kids are healthier, that my kids got along. It's like, no, look, like take a magnifying glass to that and get closer to it. And what specifically Were you really happy about today? Like what moment of time made you really happy? So like, for example, that my daughter, you know, she offered her video game controller to her brother because his was dying and she could kind of get past that. And and that was fine. So that might be a small little moment. So I think looking at those tiny little moments and there are certainly days, I'm not going to make it seem like there are that I do that all the time. There's certainly days that I forget to do that because I might have, it just might've been one of those days where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, extra hungry. I need to get to the grocery store. The birds are squawking a little extra loud. (laughs) There's a lot going on. Everybody needs everything at the same time, you know, and I'm overwhelmed and that is totally normal also. Um, But I think if you can at least get into the habit of at some point in your day, just looking back over, you know, the last 24 hours or so and just zero in on just one small piece. If you can start with just one small piece, I think that you'll be able to see more and more of that. And you know what? I'm not a great journaler. I don't really like to I keep track of my journals and where everything is. But if you can write that down, I find that that is really helpful for me too. And when I can actually take the time to write it down, even if it's on a sticky note, I mean, my house is covered in sticky notes. I might never find that sticky note again. I can't promise that. But just getting it out of my head and onto something makes it very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that that has been really helpful. So that's definitely something I would recommend to myself. Um back in January. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're right about that. Even if you write it on a sticky note and you never see that paper again, you have strengthened the memory in your head of Mm -hmm. the event. 
Mm-hmm. So, so it's really powerful in a way that seems sort of silly to, to people when you yeah. say like, oh, write it down. And they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to have a journal. I don't want to, but mm-hmm. the act of writing it down helps to cement it in your brain. And I love, I love the, the specificity that you encourage. And that's, that's something mm-hmm. I very much agree with that it isn't the big concepts that make a difference in our life. Like, Oh, I'm so happy for my family. No, no, no. Right. I am so happy for that moment when my daughter shared her controller with her brother, mm-hmm. that moment that is, I'm so happy for my family, Right. but it's a snapshot of a moment that you can feel. You don't feel the, the broad categories the same way as you feel the micro moments and you go, that was incredible. And I'm so proud of you. And it makes me so happy to see that. That was really lovely. So that was wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me today to to talk about trust. If people wanted to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? So my main website is misbehaviortraining.com. Two S's in this, like the person. I am also on Facebook and I'm on Instagram, both under misbehavior training. So pretty easy to find. Um, and I'm on there all the time. And I love when people reach out to me and just even just say hi, make a relationship from there. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com, where you can be steady, be strong, and be long.